Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. Do not judge. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you can see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great.
right, all right, you can go ahead and take your seats. And as it was just read for us, we find ourselves today in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 49. See, when we, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible calls us a lot of things. One of the things it calls us, one of the titles that God bestows on us as saints is children of God. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. One of the, the privileges that we have as believers is that we can call God our Father alongside of Jesus, and we get to be called by him children of God. And see, that's why our, our big takeaway from the message, from the, the big portion of scripture that was read to us, what we uh, gather from it, the one thing I want you to walk away with is this, the children of God live like God. Very simple, I want you to remember that. The children of God live like God. And see, that's the, that's the title of today's message, living like God. It's going to come up for us, living like God. And, and that's what we're going to see in today's passage, that, that the Bible calls us specifically in this passage to, to prove that we are children, to reveal that we are children by the way we live. And my aim for the message today, what I hope uh, would would come across to you is encouragement. Uh, if, if you're living in these particular ways that Jesus is going to talk about, I want you to be encouraged. Take heart. Jesus says, if you're living like this, you're revealing that you're truly his children. Uh, but by the end, if you, if you evaluate your life and you see these things aren't what mark my life, again, I want to encourage you to pursue after those things. Because Jesus says, if these things don't mark your life, you need to really examine yourself to see if you are truly in and truly can call yourself a child of God. But I want to make it clear, living a certain way doesn't make you a child of God. See, that's all grace. God makes us children by the work that his son accomplished. But now that we are children, he expects us to live in a certain way. But we do all of that out of a heart of gratitude towards the grace that he's shown us in Christ. It's not obligation, but a response of thanksgiving to our father who has welcomed us in because of Jesus Christ. It starts with that, our identity. We are children. And so because we are children, the children of God live like God. And that's what Jesus teaches us in this passage. See, Jesus teaches us that the children of God, uh, firstly, are called to love our enemies. The children of God are called to love our enemies. See, Jesus told his disciples, and last week, uh, our brother Jermaine led us through the passage where Jesus begins this sermon. Jesus tells his disciples that they should expect when they follow him to receive hatred, that they should expect to be excluded, that, that they should expect insult and slander. But in the passage that we find ourselves today, Jesus tells us in response to all of that, our response should be, look at verse 27. Love your enemies. When all of that comes our way, Jesus says, verse 27, love your enemies. Just like pineapple on pizza, loving your enemies makes absolutely no sense. 
See, the natural response to our enemies is, is hatred or retaliation or, or just passive indifference. But Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Look exactly at what he calls us to do in verse 27 to 28. He says this, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. See, Jesus is telling us right here, love is more than just a feeling. It's doing good in response to hatred. It's blessing in response to curses. It's praying in response to mistreatment. And we do all of this by being patient as we endure the hatred of our enemies. And instead of a retaliation, we, we show kindness to them. We honor those who, who come against us with our words before them, right? We don't want to slander, but also behind their backs, we're speaking in words of honor and blessing. We're not gossiping about them either. Also, Jesus tells us to petition the Lord for them. Did you notice what he says? Pray for them. Not pray about them. That's, that's very easy to do. Pray for them. See, that's the difference between a prayer that asks God to deal with this person in my life and a prayer that asks God to deal with the heart of the person in my life. That God would change them, not just get them out of my life, but that he would change them and transform them. When is the last time that you truly prayed for the person that was coming against you? Do you petition the Lord to change their hearts? God wants that for us. That's what he's calling us to do. And when we do all of these things, it, it demonstrates our hope that that other person, the enemies that are coming against us, are not beyond the hope of change. Amen? Amen. Because if we truly recognize who we once were, we were beyond the hope of change. But Paul says, but God. That's what, that's, that made all the difference. And so when we do all of these things, when we do good, when we bless, when we pray for, it displays our hope that God can change them. And when we show kindness like this, it also reflects the kindness of God our Father. Again, the children of God live like God. God shows kindness, and so that's why we show kindness. And as we do these things, we have no idea how that can change the life of the person. God could use that to radically transform them, the, the kindness that we show, keeping in step with the gospel that we have received, shines a light on them, and the Lord can use that. And so that's why we persist even when it's hard, because we have no idea how God can use that in their life to transform them. Amen? So we persist in those things. See, Natalie and I, we, whenever we, we have a, a free coupon, we use it to get one of those meal boxes, you know, chef's plate or good food. And what I love about those boxes is that it comes with instructions that are incredibly clear. Like, it tells you exactly, I mean, it gives you in pouches how much garlic you need to use. You don't have to cut it up. You just toss it in. It's super clear. You don't have to, you know, look up a recipe and you just have to read through a blog of how 
how a person's day went before you actually get to the recipe. Like, those websites make no sense. Just give me what I came for. The, the recipes that come with these boxes are so clear. And in the same way, Jesus makes it abundantly clear what he expects our attitude to be when we love our enemies. He's not leaving any of it hidden. Look what he says in verse 29. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Jesus makes it very clear what our attitude should be. He tells us these four things. That our attitude, when we love our enemies, should be patiently enduring rejection. See, when Jesus talks about a slap on the face, that was a sign of of being rejected from the temple. And so Jesus is saying, when you face rejection, because you will, you don't just run away, but that you continue to pursue after the person, even with the risk of rejection again. Because we prioritize the love of the other person over what they think of us. That's why we don't give up sharing the gospel with those who reject it. See, it reflects the heart of our Father. Remember, uh, Peter in his epistle says that that God is not slow, but he's showing patience because he wants all to come to repentance. That's why we patiently endure like our Father has done with us. I mean, think about it. John Piper talks about how the sun comes up every single day on our cities. That's God's patience like that he doesn't just destroy the earth because of the rampant sin but in the same way God has shown us patience shows the world patience we show patience to those that we endure rejection from and so we continue to share the gospel with them and then we pray for them as well but also we take the risk of being vulnerable When we love our enemies, we got to realize that sometimes we're putting ourselves out there, exposing ourselves to hurt. But we do this all because we desire the hearts of those people to change. We we want them to be transformed from enemies to friends. But we have no idea how they're going to respond as we continue to pursue them. And so we need to be ready. They might retreat and and dig their heels in, or they might actually change, but we need to be ready to be hurt. But we're willing to take that on so that we can love them and see their lives transformed. Third, Jesus tells us to give generously without conditions. Now, when we read this, I want to make it clear, Jesus isn't telling us to give everything away. Jesus is, is warning against giving that's discriminatory. See, giving in that time, uh, those who had much gave to only those that they deemed worthy. But Jesus is telling us to give without those kind of discriminations. But as we give without conditions, we still, we still need to give wisely. And so I want to give you three practical ways to give wisely or wise generosity. First, give out of a heart of compassion and not superiority. As we give out of a heart of compassion rather than trying to establish ourselves as as those who have much, it, it shields us from expectation and disappointment if they can't pay it back, but it also reflects the heart of God. 
Second, consider whether the person will abuse generosity. If, if that person continues to, to abuse generosity, we need to be wise on whether or not we continue to give. It might be we just need to go another direction, continue to, to talk with them. Maybe it's an issue of the heart. Maybe there's another way that you can love and support them, but you don't want to just give to those who abuse it. Lastly, you don't want to ignore your immediate responsibilities. The Bible makes it clear that if your own family goes hungry, that you're, you're worse than an unbeliever. And, and you need to care for those in the household of God. And so we need to take care of our immediate responsibility. If you have debt, if, if you need to care for your family, if you have a loved one in your home that you need to take care of, God says to do those things. So don't sacrifice those things in the call to be generous, but you do those things in balance. So we are, we're called to give generously without conditions, but fourth, we're called to put ourselves in their position to walk in their shoes. See, we don't serve so that other people can serve us in return. God isn't telling us to do things just so we can make a return on, on how people respond. Jesus is calling us rather to consider with intentionality their, their specific and particular needs and the concerns that they have and to, to pursue after them in that kind of capacity. But as we do that, we actually reflect the heart of God, that we pursue after the particular needs that they have. See, all of this, this is the attitude Jesus says we need to have as we love our enemies. But he doesn't leave us wondering why. He tells us, look at verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. Jesus is telling us when we love people who are just like us, that, that, that it's great. We ought to do that. But it doesn't, it doesn't stand out to the world as unexpected or different. What is unexpected and what makes an impact on the watching world is when we love those who are radically different from us. See, Jesus says that even the world loves the world. Even the world loves e each other. They love the people who are like themselves. But when we love those who are different from us, whether it be people from different cultures, people from different educational backgrounds, political affiliations, even biblical convictions, Jesus calls us to love them with respect, with sensitivity, to, to understand where they're coming from and still love them despite our differences. And we do this because this is the way that God has loved us. And I'm going to prove it to you. Look at Romans chapter 5. But God proves his own love for us even in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were, say it with me, enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? 
See, when we live like this, when we behave and love the way that God has loved us, remember our big takeaways coming back often, the children of God live like God. So when we live this way, Jesus promises a great reward to come. Look at verse 35. But love your enemies, do what is good, lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Just like an athlete runs to the finish line because of the promise of a a gold medal, just like a student endures long nights of studying and and goes into the night pulling all-nighters because of the, the promise of the degree that will come, Jesus gives us this motivation of a reward to love our enemies. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to love our enemies. And so Jesus wants to give us motivation to endure in this work. And so we do good, we, we bless, and we pray because of, of the reward that is to come that Jesus promises will be great to those who actually obey him. But Jesus continues, he doesn't stop there, he continues in his sermon, look at verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher." Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite, first take out the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. Verse 43, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in their heart, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of their heart." Jesus in this section gives us four principles to help us to discern and to judge carefully. Now, if you were listening carefully or reading carefully, you would have noticed, and and you're probably a good question to ask is, but Shayon, verse 37, Jesus tells us, do not judge. What's going on? Well, let me let me help clarify that for you. Grant Osborne helps us out here and says, when he's talking about this, this refers to a judgmental attitude that looks down on others and enjoys condemning them with an attitude of superiority. So it's not the the act of discernment or judging that Jesus is warning against. It is being critical of others and enjoying it. There's no loving concern or humility in such an act. 
And here's the key. The missing component is love, caring, caring for others enough not to allow sin to gain control of their life. See, Jesus isn't saying that we should ignore sin in the lives of others or to let it fester and build up in the life of the church. But Jesus is warning against an attitude of of judgmental condemnation that has no love for the other. It means that the motivation that we should have when we address sin in the lives of others and in our church should be that of love and a desire for them to come back and enjoy and experience the grace of God. It's a heart that longs after the restoration of the other. And we do this because we would want to be treated the same way. If we find ourselves in sin, we would want the other not to put us in the corner and to shame us and to enjoy condemnation on us, but to bring us back, to point us back to the grace that we have in Christ, to seek to restore us. So it's not a call against discernment and judgment, but a call to to be loving and and a concern for the restoration of one another. In the last couple months, we've heard over and over again that we are a family, that we're we're family members, we're members of one another. That's what a, a church is, and this is what family does. We don't let our family members go off into ruin. We love them, and, and so out of a concern for our family members, at times we need to address sin in our lives, but we do it in love, out of a concern that they might be restored to our Father. And Jesus tells us in this section how we can do that well. He gives us four principles on how we can discern carefully, discern righteously. First, in verses 37 to 38, he tells us to patiently pursue the restoration of others, to patiently pursue restoration. Instead of being quick to condemn and quick to judge, Jesus is calling us as his disciples to be quick to show compassion, to show concern, and to give abundant grace. If if you ever have the the privilege of being invited over for a a dinner at a a brown house, one of the things that you'll notice is as you're loading up food, if an auntie sees that your plate doesn't have enough, she'll come up and load it up like, eat, 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 and put it on the plate, right? There's way too much plate on your plate. You need more food. That's the picture Jesus is giving of this container that is pressed in, put more and shaken around because that's the picture of the grace that we have received and experienced from God. We've received that kind of grace, this abundant grace overflowing. And that's the grace Jesus is calling us as his children to show to others. So we we patiently pursue the restoration of others. Second, be wise about what or who you listen to. We're always being discipled by someone or something. We're always growing in one way or another. And the warning Jesus gives us here is that ungodly and unrighteous teachers will lead to the spiritual ruin of those that follow them. Not only that, but they find themselves growing more and more like the people that they keep company with. And so we need to be wise with who we spend time with or what we give our attention to. 
Recently, about a little over a year ago, I, I took a blood test to figure out the things that I was sensitive to, food sensitivities. Top of the list was rice and curry figures, right? Like, I mean, come on. Uh, it's almost not fair. Um, and so I took that test because if I eat those foods too much, my head swells up two times its size. Uh, that's part of the reason I didn't show up some weekends over the past of the year. Uh, just like I need to be very careful of what I'm eating and putting in my body, Jesus tells us that we need to be extremely careful and wise what we're giving our attention to, even as we sit under God's word. The regular teaching of God's word is no time to put down our discernment and our judgment. See, God calls us, and Luke, later in his second volume in Acts, commends these these people called the Bereans for, for the way that they approach the scriptures. He says this about them in Acts chapter 17. The people, meaning the Bereans here, were of more noble character. Why? Since they received the word with eagerness, but not only that, not only were they ready to receive God's word, but they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The call for all of us as we sit under the regular teaching of God's word is to keep it open. Check whether the person up here speaking is, is in line with what God has revealed in his word. Don't just take it. Take it home. Examine it. See if it's so. Not just so you can reject what it's happening, but so that you, your confidence lies not in a man, but in the word of God. And so be like the Bereans. Press into God's word, judge, and be careful to what you pay attention to. But thirdly, start by examining yourself. Start there. We serve others better when we discern and, and see our own sin first. See, what Jesus says there about the log in your own eye and the speck in another is a call to humility. We often think of ourselves way too well. And Jesus says, be humble. Recognize that none of us have arrived, which doesn't happen until we reach glory. But until we do that, when we recognize all of those things, it lets us serve one another with graciousness and mercy. And then finally, evaluate actions over time. Now this passage talking about the fruits of a tree isn't telling us that a single moment or a single fruit determines the condition of the heart. See why? Because we all continue to sin until God redeems us, completely glorifies us, gives us new bodies. We, we will continue to sin. The, the children of God on this side of heaven aren't perfect, but they are marked by godly sorrow, a hatred of sin, a trajectory towards holiness and godliness. And, and, and all of this should be seen over the course of a person's life. So what Jesus is saying here isn't to, if you, if you see a moment of bad fruit, to question whether you are truly a child of God. It's to evaluate the course of your life. Are you headed towards more and more godliness? You, you should be able to look back over the, the last year, the last five years, the decades you've been in the faith, and to see that God is, by his grace, progressing you towards holiness. That's, that's called sanctification. It should be happening. 
The warning that God gives here, though, that Jesus tells us is a warning for those who look at their life and see a life marked by no fruit or a pattern of bad fruit. That's the warning here. But just like Pastor Yogi says often, if you, if you have a chance to talk to him, he'll say that we're fruit inspectors, that we ought to be checking our lives regularly. We should be inspecting the fruit of those who are around us, not because we're looking to condemn, but that's actually one of the commitments that we've made to one another. If you're a member here, you've made that commitment to, to continue to evaluate one another, to help us all progress in holiness. But as we look and we inspect fruit, we should check to see if the fruit matches who we say we are. And when we see good fruit, and we're going to see that often, an encouragement to you is to, to go up to that person and celebrate it. If, you, if you've noticed a person progressing in holiness, a, a further understanding of God's word, a killing of sin, encourage them. Celebrate the fruit that is being produced in their life. But if you see bad fruit in the life of a person with humility, gentleness, and respect, call them towards repentance. Because the child of God is headed towards godliness. Remember, the children of God live like God. And we produce good fruit as we pursue after Jesus. Well, Jesus finishes his sermon, and so that's where we're going to end as well. Verse 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my word, and acts on them. He is like a man building on a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the rivers crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. If we aren't obeying Jesus, his warning here to us is that we can't call him Lord. We don't truly love Jesus, and we can't call him Lord if, if our lives are not marked by obedience. See, that's the difference between simply hearing the word and actually listening to it. There's a difference between just sitting under God's word and actually receiving it so that the word of God transforms you, informs your decisions and your actions, and causes fruit to be born in your life. There's a big difference between just hearing and listening. But when we do move from just simply hearing to listening, when we move from hearing to actually doing God's word, we're actually living like Jesus. We're living like God. And that's the whole point of the message today. The children of God live like God. Here's what, what, what Jesus says himself in John 6. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The whole life of Jesus was marked, his earthly life was marked by obedience to the Father. There was never a moment that, in which he, he strayed from the plan, but he lived his whole life in, in, in obedience to the Father. See, obeying God's word and hearing and uh, obeying his commands 
gives us safety and security in times of trouble. Why? Because it places us on a sure and steady foundation. It's like the the old hymn, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. See, it, it gives us safety and security because we stand on a sure and firm foundation. But the person who doesn't obey God's word They have no foundations. And when the storms come, it tells it that there's great destruction. Now, there's a guarantee here. The storms are coming. Look at what Jesus says, when the flood came. Not if, when. The storms are coming. What gives us safety in those times against the troubles of life what gives us stability so that we're not swayed by false teaching, what what gives us a firm foundation to stand on and refuge when we face God at the judgment is the foundation of Jesus Christ. Again, the children of God live like God. Now, obedience, the whole call here to obey, this obedience doesn't save us, but... Obedience does reveal whether or not we are truly children because children of God live like God. It reveals that we love him. It reveals that we trust him. It reveals that we have actually built our life on the foundation of his word. Now, what Jesus wants us to see here is that it's not the house that's the point. It's not the beauty of it, how old it is, how many floors it has, or how many bathrooms. It's nothing about the house itself. No matter what the house is, unless it is built on the foundation, that's, that's what makes all the difference. And Jesus is that foundation. That's where our hope lies. All of our hope lies in Jesus Christ. That's why we can sing this, and that's why we're going to sing this. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's why we as believers, and that's an encouragement to you, if you have built your life upon the rock, the troubles of life, they will come, and they might batter the house down, but but you'll find yourself that you won't be shaken because you've built your life on Christ. And a word to the unbeliever, if you have built your life on anything other than Christ, it's like sinking sand, and and what Jesus promises is that the destruction will be great. But the offer is there to come, to, to repent, to trust in Jesus, to place your faith on him, to build your life on him. The house and the house of faith that you might have might be feeble and small, but that doesn't matter. It's the the strength of the foundation that we trust. It's not the, the size or the strength of our faith, but the sureness of the foundation that is Christ, our Savior, that matters. And so again, that's why we can sing. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Say it with me. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Even as we take a a, a moment today to to give our attention to the sermon that Jesus gave to his disciples, we, 
we thank you that it has much to to tell us today. And we pray that, that you would cause your word to take deep root in our lives, that it wouldn't just simply be a hearing of your word, but that we would have received it and your spirit uses that to to bear much fruit for your glory. It may be said of us that we are those who who have built our house, our life, not on, on, on the things that the world says are steady and sure, because we know all of that will fail. But on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So would you be glorified even as we sing that truth? Our declaration that nothing else gives us strength, only Christ. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.